0: Hey, at this time, we are going to ask our junior high mission team to make their way in. I talked earlier about the high school mission team wrapping up their time in the Dominican Republic the next couple days. This is our junior high mission team, and Cody, take it away.
1: We have uh, 33 students and adults going on the trip this year, and that is just a little bit uh, bigger than... Than last year. And we are going to Rockford, Illinois. We're going with uh, Christ and Youth uh, with their Engage program. And we are going to be working alongside a church that is uh, currently um, in the midst of uh, lots of brokenness. So if you are aware of Rockford, uh, there's a lot going on up there. And we are going to be partnering with a church that's already doing a lot of ministry and so we're very much excited about that, and then also just, uh, you know, for a lot of these students, this is the first time that they have ever been on a mission trip, uh, some of them first time that they've ever been away from home for a full week, so lots of new experiences for many of them, and um, there's a big, big emphasis on relationships on this trip, and uh, I, we tend, I think sometimes we tend to uh, separate uh, our, re- our relationships with the physical parts of the church, the relationship part of the church, and then the spiritual, and um, this is an example of where they all three uh, collide together, and uh, there's something about really seeing your faith uh, come alive when you really put your hands to it and um, see tangible ways of God using you, so we're very much excited
0: to have an opportunity to pray for them. But what I would like you to do as I get ready to pray this prayer is I'd like you to just focus on one or two of the three students that maybe you know or that you know uh, pretty well. And I'd like you to pray for them all week long. When you get up in the morning, I'd like you to pray for them. When you get ready to go to bed at night, pray for them. If you don't know uh, a name, even just connect with a face and say, I'm going to pray for him or I'm going to pray for her. So let's pray right now. God, thanks so much for the opportunity that is in front of these uh, 33 students and adults as they travel to rockford uh, tomorrow morning we pray for safety to and from rockford we pray for safety throughout the week but even more than that i pray that lives are changed in a good way that hearts are broken that uh, they'll realize uh, it's a big world out there and there are a lot of needs and i pray that this group will be a group that grows together but most of all, that they grow closer to you, Father. I thank you for Cody and all the adults that are leading this trip, many of whom are taking vacation to be on this trip. And we thank you most of all this morning for Jesus, your son. He's the reason that we do trips like this. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Will you give these guys a hand, please? And you guys can go sit down. All right. Hey, grab your Bibles turn to the book of 1 Kings. We are starting a brand new sermon series through the book of 1 Kings, but before we do that, a couple of announcements. Number one, Fan the Flame part four is three weeks away. It is coming before we know it. Saturday, August 16, Fan the Flame is going on the road to Lincoln Christian University at the Hargrove Chapel. Um, Big Daddy Weave is the featured artist, it is going to be a great evening, and uh, you can get your tickets today in the foyer, you can get your tickets online at itickets.com, and once again, all the money raised through ticket sales is being given away. It is a a continuing theme with the Fan the Flame series, and I hope you will come out and get tickets and support this incredible cause. Number two, starting September 7, we are starting a church-wide campaign studying the book, The Story. The story is God's Word in novel form, written by Max Lucado and Randy Frazee, 31 chapters looking at God's Word as one big continual story from Genesis to Revelation. We're going to tackle the first 11 chapters this fall, September 7th through November 16th, and if you come to church, you're going to hear a sermon on the story. What we want you to do is buy a copy of the story. These are $20 books. We were able to get them for $5 each. So we're selling them for our cost. If you don't have $5 and you're not going to have $5 between now and September 7, look me up and I will get you a copy of the story. I literally want everyone to have a copy of the story. Families read it together. It's going to be great. There's some incredible resources. This is the story for Gil- for children, a storybook Bible, and it is awesome. Again, over twenty dollars. Typically, we were able to secure these for $8 each. We're going to sell them for our cost. And again, if you have children that would benefit from this, get a copy of the story for children. Several different resources are available. Now, if you come to church every Sunday morning and study the story, that's going to be awesome. But we are hoping that everyone, not half, not most, but everyone will be a part of a group that's going to study the story beyond Sunday morning worship. We're calling those community groups. And in your bulletin today is a sign-up for community groups. And I know for some of you, man, that's just too much. That's not really what you want to do. You want to come to church, do your thing, go on your way. You will never really develop relationally, sadly, in a church of this size if you only do Sunday morning church. So I'm challenging everyone to plug in. Many of our Sunday school classes are going to study the story. We're going to have at least nine new, we're calling them community groups they are going to meet throughout the week, many on Wednesday night, and it is going to be a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. We want everyone to be in a community group. Let's dive in to Solomon. We are starting a five-week look at some of the kings of the Old Testament, and many of you have probably heard of Solomon, maybe you've heard of Hezekiah, but we're going to be looking at five different stories, five different narratives that I really think affect our lives today. Even though none of you are king or queen, I'll never be king, but we look at these leaders that the Lord installed, and there are life lessons that we can take away. And so this next slide shows the the progression. Today we're looking at Solomon, a message entitled, If You Could Have Anything, Next week, we're going to look at a king that most people have never heard of. His name was Joash. He became king at the age of seven. How cool would that be? And the message is it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Joash started really well. He didn't finish well. Weeks three and four, look at King Hezekiah. Week three, taking out the trash. Week four, the power of prayer. And then week five, August 24, Cody is going to be preaching a message on King Josiah. King Josiah became king at the age of eight. A lot of people confuse Joash with Josiah. Two different kings, 100 years apart. Josiah's message will look at really the power in God's word, how there is power in the word of God. So let's dive in and talk about Solomon. Who was Solomon? He was the son of King David, the greatest leader Israel had ever known. There would never been a greater leader and his mother was Bathsheba. Now, when I say Bathsheba, some of you kind of roll your eyes a little bit. You kind of look like you're not so sure about her, because when you hear Bathsheba, that's a negative connotation, isn't it? Who was Bathsheba? Well, she was Uriah's wife. She was beautiful. She was bathing on a roof late at night, and King David, he wasn't off to war anymore. 2 Samuel chapter 11, he sees this beautiful woman bathing, and before you know it, King David, the man after God's own heart, because of the lust that he had for Bathsheba, became an adulterer, a deceiver, and a murderer. It's that Bathsheba. And so how cool is it that in the midst of that sin, in the midst of that, that, that really brokenness, she's able to rebound to the point that she becomes the mother of the next king of Israel. Solomon was her child, her second child. The date's about 970 BC. The situation is David has died. David was Israel's greatest leader up to this point in time. And following his death, there's kind of this battle uh, with his sons. His son um, uh, wanted to take the throne, but David wanted Solomon to have the the throne. So you have the brothers kind of battling it out, and Solomon becomes king. And the world situation is such that Egypt had been a world power for centuries, but they're kind of on the decline. It's before the superpower days of Assyria and Babylon. They're going to rear their head a little bit later. But as Solomon becomes king, it's almost the perfect time to take Israel from a good nation to a great nation, from a good people to a great people, from a fairly well-known country to a to a country of prominence, a real player on the world stage. So let's dive in. Uh, Part one is, how did the reign of Solomon begin? And the best way that I can describe the reign of Solomon from the very beginning is good news and bad news. I'm going to read the first three verses of 1 Kings chapter 1, and as I read that, I want you in your mind, or if you're here with your spouse, do it with your spouse, kind of start categorizing where's the good news and where's the bad news. Let's read. 1 Kings chapter 3. It says, Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace in the temple of the Lord in the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. So right now I'm going to give you 30 seconds, which isn't a lot of time. Try to figure out what's the good news and the bad news. Even though it's in church, it's okay to talk right now. Ready, get set, go. Good news, bad news. Ten seconds. Good news, bad news. Three, two, one, and we're back. So what do you think? Good news, bad news. How many of you found something that you would say is good news? Okay, say it out loud right now. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. How many of you found any bad news? Any bad news in there? Eh? let me share with you what I found. I discovered under the the category of good news, we read here definitely that Solomon is committed to the Lord. He has a passion in his relationship to the Lord. You can see right here that Solomon is committed to centralized and regular worship. And you may say, well, wasn't everybody committed to centralized worship? Didn't everybody want regular worship? Well, up to this period in time, I mean, you'd had the reign of King Saul, and that was sketchy at best. David, he was very much passionate about worship, but David wanted to build the temple. David said, Lord, let me build your temple. And you remember what the Lord said to him? What did he say? You're not the one, you're a warrior. You're a great warrior, you're a fierce warrior, but you're not the one to build my temple. And so there never was, during the reign of David, this centralized worship. And when Solomon becomes king, you can see right here in the first three verses, he is committed to centralized worship. He is making worship a priority. Solomon was also a man after his father David's heart. A real obedience to the law. We see right here in the first three verses, he's committed to the statues of the Lord. Solomon was a man who was committed to the Lord. And secondly, and it's not just here in chapter three, but really the whole story of Solomon, the 40 years that he reigned, Solomon was motivated to expand the influence of Israel worldwide. Israel was fairly well known as Solomon becomes king, and they are going to be known literally all over the world. In fact, during the reign of Solomon, Israel will reach its peak in terms of land acquisition, how far the kingdom stretches, in terms of prosperity. Israel will never have as much revenue in the bank as they do during the reign of Solomon. They become a people of great influence, international prominence, but also world-renowned building projects. Uh, Solomon built the temple. And we won't study it in this series, but sometime today, get into like chapters 7, 8, 9 of 1 Kings, and you will see how magnificent the temple project was. But even more than that, he built a palace that was absolutely off the charts. And so his world-renowned building projects is bringing fame, not just for him, but for all of Israel, literally all over the world. What about the bad news? Is there any bad news in here? I came up with three things. Bad news number one is that Solomon, I don't believe, made a wise choice when it came to his wife. We learned that he picked the daughter of the Pharaoh of Egypt And my guess is it didn't have much to do with her faith. See, it would be incredibly rare for the daughter of the Pharaoh to have faith in the Hebrew God. My guess is she probably never even heard of him. And so it's not a stretch to say that more than likely Solomon and his wife, they are unequally yoked. And that's going to be a problem for Solomon through all of his life. Can I just throw a word of caution out there to to those of you that are in a season of life where you're not married, but you may be getting married maybe later this year or in the years to come or maybe you're in junior high or senior high and it's going to be on your radar in the next decade. Choose wisely who your spouse will be. Time and time again in Scripture, we see couples that are unequally yoked from a faith perspective. Rarely does it turn out great Let me just talk personal life experience I could share a couple of illustrations this morning real life illustrations of couples that I've got to know and I've spent time with before their marriage and one couple was on fire for Jesus and one couple didn't know Jesus and didn't want to know Jesus and they got married and through the season of life everything turned out great and they're both on fire for Jesus and they're serving I could tell two or three or four of those stories today But I could share dozens of examples of people that that were unequally yoked from a faith perspective and they came together and it really created tough times. It was a real challenge. that They were not together when it came to faith. And then kids entered into the equation and it was kind of a battle. And so that's extra. That's not in your sermon notes. But if that's on your radar in the future, just, just be wise in the choices that you make. I would make the case Solomon was not wise. Secondly, Solomon makes an unholy alliance with the nation of Egypt, an unholy alliance. Um, He's trying to expand their power. And the thing is, if Solomon could have looked into the future, he would have known God was going to bless him. God was going to bless Israel. God was going to expand the kingdom in ways they never dreamed was possible. But right here we see an unholy alliance with an unholy people. And then finally, number three, contrast the building of the Lord's temple with Solomon's palace. And again, we can't do it this morning, right now during this service. But when you read about the temple, it it was a great building project. But you read about his palace, I mean, to use a phrase from our world today, it was literally the Taj Mahal. He went all out for his palace. And that tells us a little bit about about Solomon. If I were to summarize the life of Solomon, I'm going to say something that may make you laugh because Solomon's a guy that had 700 wives, 300 concubines, and was probably the richest man in all of Scripture. But here's what I'm going to say about Solomon. He was a lot like you and me. A lot like you and me. In this, he loved the Lord with passion. He had an incredible passion for the Lord. But the other loves of his life were pretty influential. And it caused this kind of tug of war. He was distracted. He found himself drifting. See, I would make the case that Solomon was presented a kingdom that, that could have thrived for centuries and centuries to come. That Solomon's legacy could have been greater than David's legacy. Solomon could have been the greatest, if we want to use this phrase, hero of the faith in all of the Old Testament. But I think it's fair to say that these additional loves that caused the distraction and the drifting, they kind of chipped away at him. So he found himself continually in a battle. Part two of our message today this Solomon learned that worship, it matters to the Lord. Worship is important to the lord worship makes a difference let me read for you verses four and five it says the king went to gibeon to offer sacrifices for that was the the most important high place and solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar now let me just stop right there a thousand burnt offerings a thousand burnt offerings I mean, that's not I'm going to show up at church at 5 after 11 with my coffee in hand, I'm going to text while Greg is preaching, I'm going to shake a couple hands, and I'm going to be in my car by noon. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a major commitment to worship. We're talking about a major, shall we use the term, production. He is letting everyone know and everyone see that worship to the Lord matters. And look at the Lord's response. Verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon's worship is so genuine to the Lord that it leads to an unfathomable offer. I will give you anything that you want. Let me ask you this morning. What would you ask for if the Lord came to you tonight and said, I will give you anything you want? Take 30 seconds and try to figure out what would you ask for. Ready, get set, go. And talk to your neighbor if you want to. Go.
1: What would you ask
0: for? Anything you want at all. We're kind of a quiet bunch this morning. It's okay to talk. Go ahead. Seriously, it's okay. Anything at all. Now, This is really dangerous, but I'm going to do it anyway. I think I want to know what some of you might ask for, okay? This could backfire. Remember, you're in church, okay? What would you ask for? Someone tell me what you'd ask for. Anybody? Any takers? What would you ask for? A billion dollars. Man, that's a lot of money. That would be a good thing to ask for. What else? Someone said world peace. Okay. You might win the Nobel Peace Prize if that's what you got. Anybody else? What'd you ask for? To cure all diseases. Okay. That'd be a great thing to ask for. Anybody else? To own Microsoft. Microsoft. Okay. Not Apple. Not Apple. You're going to do Microsoft instead of Apple. Okay. All right. I, I have three possibilities here. I want to show you a couple pictures. This is the cabin that we stayed in in the, the Smoky Mountains. It doesn't really do justice to it, but it is at the top of the mountain peak between Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg, and man, I love that cabin. And I would love to stay in that cabin every weekend if I could. So I might ask for that, but the problem with that is it's like nine hours away. So I mean nine hours there, nine hours back. They didn't really make a lot of sense. So I went on to number two, picture number two. The Chicago Cubs won the World Series in 2015. And i got to just tell you, especially after yesterday, I mean, that's pretty tempting. Pretty tempting. It does say, oh, man, they got it wrong. They changed that on me. That said 2015 during first service. They're messing with me. They're messing with me. Number three, the 2015 Tour de France winner, Greg Taylor. Maybe I'd be the guy wearing the... uh, Yeah, you know, I don't think I'd ask for any of that. I really don't. But let's find out what Solomon asked for. Because Solomon chose wisely. Let's read on together. I'm going to read a whole bunch of scripture right now. Verses 6 through 14. Let's look at this. Solomon answered, You've shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Verse 7. Now I, O Lord my God, You have made your servant king in place of my father David. Now look at this, he says. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among your people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or to number. Here it is, verse 9. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands, as David your father did, I will give you long life. Solomon's choice, he said, give me a discerning heart. Give me wisdom. Solomon could have had anything. He could have had a billion dollars. He could have had a curing of all diseases. He could have had the greatest treasures this world can offer, and he says, give me wisdom. Give me a wise and discerning heart. And the Lord is very pleased with this request, and he answers it. He says, you got it. But here's the cool thing about the Lord. He says, not only that, because you didn't ask for what most people would ask for, I'm going to give it to you anyway. I'm going to give you the riches. I'm going to give you the honor. I'm going to give you more than you could ever possibly imagine. And that leads to kind of the rest of the story, and that is that Solomon's discerning heart is put into practice almost immediately. And this is the part of the life of Solomon that most of us remember. If we grew up going to Sunday school or we grew up going to to junior church, we know this story. And it's right after our passage. I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to summarize it for you. It's the story of two prostitutes. Uh, Two prostitutes lived in the same house. They both had babies within days of one another. And in the process of uh, the days that followed a tragedy took place, one of the mothers rolled over on her baby in the night, and the baby died. And so you have two prostitutes, one dead baby, one live baby. The mother who lost the baby took the alive baby and took it for herself, put the dead baby with the other woman, and you have this dispute. Two prostitutes, one baby that's alive, one that has died. And they are prostitutes, so my guess is their their word isn't exactly true in, in many people's eyes. And they end up before the king, and they said, King, I'm telling the truth, and she's lying. The baby that is alive is mine, the baby that is dead is her. And then he looks to the other prostitute, and she says, Oh, contraire, my baby is the one that's alive. Her baby is the one that is dead. What would you do if you were Solomon in such a situation? Talk about a baby. You're talking about the most precious of resources. And two women, and this is long before DNA tests or any of that, what would you do? Remember what Solomon did? He said, go get one of those awesome swords that my father David used to use in battle. And They brought it in. And he said, put the baby on a platter. We're going to cut the baby in half. And she gets half. And she gets half. And as soon as the proclamation takes place, one of the mothers cries out and says, no, 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 no. Give her the baby. Let her have it. I just don't want to see the baby harmed. And the other mother says, you know, cutting the baby in half, that seems just about right. That seems pretty fair. Go ahead. Down with the sword. And by their reaction, Solomon was able to decipher who was telling the truth and who was lying. He had a discerning heart. And this discerning heart, this wisdom will help him for much of his reign over Israel. So what do we do with this account? What do we do with a story like this? What do we do with Solomon? What's our takeaway today? I want to encourage you to take away three things from this message today. And Number one is this. Understand the civil war that's being waged in your soul and my soul. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a person of faith, my guess is what I said about Solomon is exactly what's playing out in your life. You want to love the Lord with all your heart. But the things of this earth, the stuff of this earth gets in the way. And so understand, it's not an accident that when you're on the spiritual mountaintop, you feel like an attack is coming. That's not an accident. That's intentional. Martin Luther put it like this. He said all believers at the same time are both righteous and a sinner. It's that civil war. It's that tug of war. So what do we do with that? What does that mean? That means that no matter where you're at in life, you need to have a passion. You need to have a zeal. You need to have a desire to be in God's word, to practice prayer, to experience fellowship with other Christians. That's why we're rolling out the story September seven. Because in a church this size, sadly, you will never make the connections that you need to thrive as a follower of Jesus if you only come to church at eleven o'clock. I wish it wasn't the case. We need relationships. We need people that when the going gets tough, we can turn to in the name of the Lord. And so understand, there is a civil war being waged. Just like Solomon had that civil war, you will have that as well. Number two, be prudent in what you ask and you wish for. I, I love this account of Solomon because he chose wisely. And, um, and yet, I, I, I don't think any of us necessarily really thinks God's going to give us a billion dollars or a Cubs World Series championship or a Tour de France, you know, championship or anything along those lines, but sometimes, if you're like me, you may find yourself longing for something that you are convinced is going to make your life better. Longing for something that you're convinced is really going to help you a lot. And the reality of it is, it probably won't. Anybody heard the name Brad Pitt. I read an article on Brad Pitt, the actor, on vacation. And it's from a couple years ago. And he was being interviewed uh, by one of the entertainment magazines. And they said, wow, you know, you must literally be on top of the world. You might be the most famous actor, at least to the younger generations today. You've got millions and millions of dollars. You've got any earthly possession you could possibly want. You've got a beautiful wife. You've got children. You are the American dream. You have it all And he just chuckled, and he just laughed. And he said, I do have a lot. He goes, I I have more money than I can ever spend. I have more stuff than I can ever use. I have fame that I I never dreamed I would acquire. But he says, if you think that stuff results in happiness, if you think that stuff results in, in joy in life, you are kidding yourself. He went on to talk about how great it would be just to be an ordinary guy, just to be able to go to Starbucks and get a cup of Starbucks and not be known, just to be an average guy. Solomon had it all. Solomon was the richest man the world had ever known, and he wrote a book late in life called the book of Ecclesiastes, and you know how it began? What did he say? Everything is meaningless. He said, I've tried the women. I've tried the wine. I've tried the worldly possessions. I've had anything you can get in this world. And his conclusion was everything is meaningless. So be prudent in what you ask for. There are times in my life that I have thanked God that I am not a person of affluence, that I'm an average guy, that I don't have millions. Because I think too many times when all the stuff comes our way, the distraction can come. Number three, we're almost done. Keep the main thing, the main thing. I read through the books of 1 Kings and 2 Kings during uh, vacation. I got to tell you, man, that's discouraging to read through the story of the kings of Israel and Judah I mean, you think, king of Israel, king of Judah, wow, they must be really awesome. I mean, you want to talk about a lot of knuckleheads, read through the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings. And I think if I could summarize what went wrong with the kings of Israel, they didn't keep the main thing, the main thing. Power got the best of them. Money got the best of them. Control got the best of them. And if we're not careful, the same thing can happen. To us. And that's why I think at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon ends Ecclesiastes with this. He says, now all has been heard. And here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the duty of all mankind. The man that had it all. The man that the Bible says was the wisest of all time. The man that had the women and the wine and the possessions and the palaces said, if I could give you some advice today, here's what I would say. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. Let's pray. God, thank you for today and the chance to study your word and the chance to study uh, just a great king. Solomon was great in so many ways. And yet his greatness should have and could have been so much more extreme. But for the temptations of this world, the distractions that the stuff of this earth brings. And so it's my prayer this morning that in the midst of asking for anything we could possibly want, that what we would want most would be to fear you in a healthy way, in a good way. And to know your word to live your word in our lives today we love you it's in your name that we pray amen philip and the team are going to lead us in a song that will lead us into our time of communion but this is also the time in our service where we offer an invitation and if jesus is not the lord of your life i'd love to have an opportunity this morning to talk to you about jesus if you want someone to pray with you i'm up front nate bostick's up front one of our elders We'd love to have a chance to, to pray with you this morning as we stand and Philip and team lead us in our song of commitment.
2: Oh that he is old. how great is our God will sing with me Time is in his hands. me yeah.